Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you get to the show, make sure you check out theringer.com for our extensive NBA playoff coverage leading up to the NBA Finals. Also, look out for a 2019 NBA Draft Guide, which now features 50 of Kevin O'Connor's scouting reports. The Draft Guide has a first-round mock draft, big board rankings from our draft experts like Jonathan Charks and Danny Chow, and much more to come leading up to the draft itself on June 20th. Once again, check out The Ringer's 2019 NBA Draft Guide and all of our NBA coverage over on TheRinger.com. Welcome to The Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland, a.k.a. Kevin Opinionated, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Mr. Bright Future Son, <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Chris, how you doing? We're talking at an unusual time. It's late Monday night. It is late Monday night. We just got done watching the Warriors and the Portland Trailblazers. Of course, the Warriors now set to go to another NBA Finals. And in fact, we'll have nine days of rest before said NBA Finals. They knock off the Portland Trailblazers in overtime. And I guess first things first, and we'll get to the game. Big picture, slow clap for the Portland Trailblazers because, you know, obviously it stinks to get swept. Nobody likes to lose a series in that kind of fashion, especially blowing some double-digit leads along the way and to lose in overtime when you think you're at least going to be able to stay in the series for another game. But big picture, we thought they were dead when they lost Nurkic during the season. Not only were they not dead, they held on to home court advantage. They were an underdog against Oklahoma City Thunder, and they won that series. They were an underdog against the Denver Nuggets, and they won that series. And this was obviously just a bridge too far to be able to beat this Warriors team. But overall, I think when all the dust settles, you know, Portland and Portland fans are going to feel really, really good about this season. For Warriors fans, we don't really care what you think. You get to experience this every year. (laughs) I mean, you're in another NBA Finals, for goodness sakes. But the Warriors have reminded everybody that Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green are pretty good, Kev. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, You know, for Portland, it was a competitive series. You know, obviously they got swept, but they were in each game through halftime. In game three, they were in until the third quarter, and tonight they went to overtime. You know, you have to tip your hat to Portland for the terrific season that they had, especially despite the injury to Nurkic, despite the fact that Minu got taken out of the series with Golden State helping off off of him and guys stepping up, like Myers Leonard tonight scoring 25 points in the first half. Unbelievable. You can never take that away. You, you can can't. never take that away. 25 and a half. Rodney Hood's moments that he had along the way. I mean, you can't take any of that away. But obviously the story tonight is Golden State, the second team in NBA history, going to five straight NBA Finals since the 60s Celtics did when they went to 10 in a row. This Golden State team, obviously, it goes without saying, has a chance to do something extremely special, three-peating. And to do it without Kevin Durant in this entire series for the final two games of the Houston series, it's extraordinary, really, seeing this team continue performing at the same level that they did with KD 
despite losing their second most important player. It's a remarkable testament to the other players in that team, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, and Draymond Green, of course. Yeah, because there's nobody else on that team outside of maybe Andrew Bogut because he's got a very long career that would walk down the street and people would know who they were by name. Seriously. I'll tell you what, though. Kevon Looney and Al McKinney, this series have started to make a name oh, for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. they've made a name for themselves. But, I mean, there were, there were all manner of guys that were coming in the game tonight. Jacob Evans got in the game, for goodness sakes. Is Steve Kerr playing around? <laughs> Putting Jacob Evans in the game? Starting Damian Jones in game three? Steve Kerr must be playing some games here, right? Hey, you know be. how much I love that. Jacob Evans, one of the guys that was on my These Guys Will Not Fail last year when I wrote that draft article, he only played in three games for the Warriors this year. And when he put him in the game, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> Jacob Evans. Get you some Western Conference Finals minutes, Jacob Evans. Here's the deal. Everybody has had the same, I think, take on this, which is, as NBA fans, this has been infinitely more fun to watch, warrior-wise, because it feels like a fair fight, right? <laughs> Even though they were able to sweep the Portland Trailblazers despite being down guys, it feels like without Durant, this is fun. It doesn't feel unfair, right? Whereas with Durant, it feels unfair. But truth be told, and I know this has been a big topic, Kev, where people are saying, it's so stupid to say that they're better without <laughs> Kevin Durant. Well, like, bro, they are friggin' 31 and 1. Like, <laughs> they're 31 and 1. I don't know how you can argue against that record. Yeah, but they'll still need him and they'll still, I mean, all I know is in their last 32 games they played without him, they're 31 and 1, which is just insane. Absolutely insane. As long as KD leaves this summer, Chris, I think this is going to be the way it continues to feel. It's going to keep feeling this way, where, you know, one of my friends recently tweeted about this, and it's been on my mind too, where, that Draymond, Curry, Steph, big three is going to start feeling like, you know, Duncan, Ginobili, Parker. Like that type of big three where they just sustain success. There's, obviously, these guys are at a higher level, but it's going to start feeling that way where you just can't help but respect this team that as it's happening. Um, even if, like, you root for them to lose, you just can't help but respect them, assuming KD leaves. KD is the player who makes them hated, but this team is very lovable without him, as you just said. Watching them this round, despite the sweep, is very enjoy- very enjoyable to watch the Golden State Warriors. Once again, it, it brought us right back to that 15-16 run. Well, and you see these guys step up. You have Curry with a triple-double. You have Draymond with a triple-double. And you see the minutes that these guys played tonight? I mean, you're 47 talking... 47 for Steph, 46 for Clay, 42 God. for Draymond. And that's just outrageous. That's <laughs> just not sitting down. And the cool <laughs> thing know? with the Warriors is how they've tweaked the way they play without Kevin Durant. I mean, someone in the league recently said to me, with their pick and roll, they went to the side pick and roll in game six against Houston to close them out. They just ran it over and over again with Draymond Green screening for Stephen Curry um, on a side pick and roll. And they went to that throughout the Portland series as well with Draymond screening for Steph. And one of the reasons that why that's more effective without KD is not a knock on KD at all. It's nothing to do with his own abilities at all. Actually, it has to do with 
the way defenses react to the pick and roll. And when Durant is on the floor, they're not going to trap Stephen Curry to try to get the ball out of his hands because if you trap him, it means Durant or Clay Thompson is going to be open after Curry passes the ball to Draymond Green on the roll. However, when Durant is off the floor, you can trap Stephen Curry, but that opens up a whole new set of issues because Steph is giving the ball to his release valve and Draymond, who is, if not the greatest short roller ever, he is one of the best players making plays off the dribble in the pick and roll, um, whether it's with the pass or scoring, getting to the lane, kicking it out to three or hitting the lob man and Kevon Looney. It just opens up a whole new set of issues. But also with that, it's like, Golden State is crashing the offensive boards more often, too. Alan McKinney had two critical offensive rebounds over Demian Lillard tonight. Kevon Looney has constantly attacked the boards, whether it's out of those pick and rolls or whether it's in transition or any type of set. They are crashing the boards more often to help overcompensate for the lack of KD running more pick and roll. It's just been cool to see this team make necessary tweaks to perform at essentially the same exact level, despite not having the greatest scorer of all time in Kevin Durant on the court. I think Steve Kerr deserves some credit as well as his entire coaching staff does for some of those adjustments as well. Well, and obviously Portland did not have the big guys in order to punish them for playing small. And they also didn't have the ability to slow them down. You know, I've said over the course of the past couple of years, the way to play this team, you've got to make them uncomfortable and you've got to keep these games Hopefully in the 90s are very low, over 100. But if you're playing in this kind of range that they were playing these games in, they are just so hard to beat because now the possessions are getting up. And unless you can just get so many more shots by you winning that offensive rebounding war, which is exactly what Houston did last year. It's what Cleveland was able to do when they were able to beat them in the finals and come back from 3-1. The teams that have been able to give them problems, Oklahoma City a few years ago, you've got to be able to make them uncomfortable, and they were never made uncomfortable. And Curry, you know, you were just talking about him, Kev. Look, he had 33 in that last game against Houston, 16 in the last five minutes to end their season. And then this series, he just went 36-37-36-37. I mean... Unreal. What? Unreal. I mean, that was a quick reminder of what Steph Curry looks like when he gets more shots. Because this is just, I mean, it's outrageous. Outrageous. 36, 37, 36, 37. (laughs) And, you know, this will be the, like, not to jump too far ahead here, but if KD does leave this summer, that'll be the intriguing thing about Steph moving forward. Uh, You know, with more shots, uh, if he's getting instead of 11.7 threes per game, if he's up to 12.5 or 13 threes per game out of 22, 23 total shots, he's going to be right back in that MVP conversation oh, for the you foreseeable do wonder, future every single you? season. He could be a guy averaging 30 points per game every single year. No, it ruined all of their, like, quote, accomplishments. Individual, they, individual numbers, yeah. Individually, yes. Which in the grand scheme is unimportant compared to what they have a chance to do in winning three straight titles with five straight NBA Finals appearances. It, what we're seeing is like, obviously the Warriors are hated, but you can't help but respect and, and appreciate what we're seeing. This is rare. Well, and look at the seasons that these guys have put up over the course of the last, you know, two, three years. Kevin, they're not even in the MVP conversation. Like that's what it did to them. And you do wonder if KD never signs there, 
is Curry winning back to back to back and the I mean <laughs> the year before he came he had one of the greatest offensive seasons in the history of the NBA and now you look at what he looks like when he is out of the lineup and it's just you wonder like okay yeah they did win the titles but in terms of those individual awards there is a part of me that says man I mean Steph Curry what nobody's even voting him as the MVP I don't think that Kevin Durant's been in the top five in MVP voting since he has been at the Warriors. It's like the resent is so strong, and it's not like these guys haven't had awesome seasons, but it's like, all right, this is stupid. Like, you know, how can you be the MVP of a team that won 73 games, and obviously Curry's numbers aren't there with some of the other guys that have been able to win the award? It's crazy. For crazy what it's to think worth, about. in 15-16, Steph obviously won the award that year, but then the following season in 16-17, Steph was sixth. Durant was ninth, tied for ninth. And then last season, Steph was tied for 10th, and Durant was seventh. That's crazy. Like as you said, neither of them were in the top five either of those seasons, despite the tremendous years that they had. Granted, last season, Steph only played in 51 games, so he, he wouldn't have won it that season anyway. The fact is, yeah, as you're saying, these guys have had remarkable individual seasons that have not been in the MVP conversation. Ultimately, that's because of the the word valuable in MVP. It's sort of hard to consider a guy the most valuable player when they're playing alongside each other. But ultimately, like <laughs> they joined forces knowing that this would happen. It's really a, an aside. Um, they joined forces to win titles, not to win MVPs. Well, let's be clear. It is insanely evident when you look at the records which of those two players is more valuable? Well, it's Steph. Yeah, it's totally justified that Kevin Durant doesn't get most valuable player votes because his team is 31 and friggin' one when he's not in the game. <laughs> that is just impossible. Impossible. How could you not have Kevin Durant and have lost one out of 32 games? I don't understand it. But here we are. And so now they get to sit around and. Now, by the time, I mean, it's nine days. Do they have Durant and Cousins back by the time to get to the finals? And are you in the camp that they would absolutely need Durant to win against either Toronto no. or Milwaukee? No, no, I'm not. The numbers don't necessarily lie in the sense that over, you know, over their three seasons together, including the playoffs, obviously the Warriors are at their best with both of them. That goes without saying with Curry and Durant on the floor, the Warriors outscore teams by 16 points per 100 possessions, which is just outrageous. But with Curry on the court and Durant off the court, they still outscore teams by 13 points per 100 possessions. It's outrageous. The inverse of that is with with Durant on the court and without Curry, they outscore teams by just 3.2 points per 100 possessions. Those are samples well over 2,000 minutes for each. So it's not like oh, it's hold a on, small Hold on, hold on. I need you to repeat those, Kev. What was the 3.2 number? So... With Curry and Durant, okay, the Warriors in the past three seasons have outscored opponents by 16 points per 100 possessions. With Curry and without Durant, it is 13 points per 100 possessions. With Durant and without Curry, it is three points per 100 possessions. Oh, wow. And those are large sample sizes, well over 2,000 minutes for each. Nearly 6,000 minutes for Curry and Durant. Just for a point of reference, 3.2 would be roughly equivalent of what the Pacers did this season. Mm-hmm. A Pacers-level team. 
there's a lot of factors that go into that, but the sample size is large enough. With Curry, what makes him special is not just the shooting off the dribble, it's the relocation. After he gives the ball up, getting open, not even having to use a screen, but just invading open space and creating a shot for himself. That aspect, never mind the playmaking as well. I think he's an underrated defender for that matter too. Like Obviously, this goes without saying about Steph. Whereas with KD... He's gotten better in his years with Golden State as a passer. I, I I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. The way Steve Kerr has used him on the post like they have with Draymond Green, uh, you know, with his back to the basket, his ability to score, but also his playmaking out of that as well has created shots for Clay and Steph and Draymond and others on cuts as well. But Kevin Durant's just not the playmaker that Steph is. He's not the player who can relocate off the ball like Steph does. I think that's the big part of it. I'm sure there's other factors like lineups and opponents and situation that plays into that too. But Steph is just the more important player to Steve Kerr's system, the more important player to their offense, the more important player to the franchise. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to with Kevin Durant. And there'll be a lot more time for us to talk about this as free agency approaches. But with KD, it's the type of thing where he's always going to be stuck in Steph's shadow in Golden State. That's not going to change anytime soon. It's just not happening. Even though he's won two finals MVPs back-to-back, he's just always going to be stuck behind Steph. And I think for KD, you have to look at this summer. Like You can still join another team and still remain a championship contender if someone comes along with you. And Steph continue competing for championships without KD, too. It's ultimately, I think, the best for both. The fact they joined forces together was a win for both. Obviously, they have a chance to win three straight titles that's not something to scoff at, despite the fact that people hate the fact KD went there. I wish he had went somewhere else too, for that matter. But what they've done is remarkable, even getting to this point for a chance at three straight finals. But moving forward, I do think it's for the best for both of them to part ways. I would not bank on them being able to beat Milwaukee without him. Interesting. How come? Yeah. Out of curiosity. Because of the Giannis thing. Because what are you doing with him? Is it Draymond? Is that what you're doing with him? They have a lot of bodies that can throw at Giannis, I think. Who? I mean, Draymond, you mentioned him already. One okay, of, now what, uh, what's the next body? Well, that's number one. You have one of the greatest defensive players in the history of basketball and Draymond Green. You have Kavon Looney, who who's having a tremendous playoff. Giannis will kill Looney. Kill him. But Looney is a big body who gives no. consistent effort. No, he can't stay with him on the perimeter. Looney does a good job of staying in front of guards. He can at least stay in front of Giannis and try to contest the shots using his long ass seven foot three wingspan. I get we're high on the on the Looney Herb after his series <laughs> against Portland. Giannis will herb. defecate on this guy. That is Looney. OG Looney. <laughs> Stop it. All right. If you want to sell me on Iguadala, I'll listen. Get any of that OG Looney, Chris? <laughs> but, but don't no, tell me no, but the, that I'm we not, could throw Kevin listen, Looney at Giannis. I'm not, I'm not saying that he's going to stop Giannis. I'm going to say he's a body that you can throw at him. That's why I'm That's saying all. they need Durant. That's why I'm saying. I mean, Durant obviously makes the team Because better. of that matchup. The best guy on Milwaukee is a guy that you don't want to have to use Draymond on. You don't want to have to. Because why not? Put That's Brooke Lopez forty feet away from the basket, huh? Why not use him on Giannis? On well, I would time. rather him be able to quarterback my defense completely. The advantage of Draymond is that I get to put him on a center. That's the advantage because now he's snatching everything off that rim and he's going, and he has been easily one of the greatest players in the NBA throughout these last two rounds. That Houston series and now this series. He has been absolutely out of his mind. He lost that 20 pounds 
leading up to the playoffs and he looks like he lost 20 pounds and he's just done everything. But what you don't want is having Draymond having to guard someone every single possession that can actually make a play down in the post. That's where you can really combat him. The issue is there's almost nobody that does that regularly anymore. And so you create this amazing advantage if you're the Warriors because you're not having to. Nobody's throwing it down in the post and getting buckets, right? You want him to be occupied like that. And if he's guarding Giannis, he's going to be occupied and he'll also foul out. And that's why I would not want that. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes without saying that ideally you want Draymond roaming off ball. All I'm saying is that you have one of the greatest defenders of all time who is an option against Giannis. And there's other guys that you can use against him too, like Looney. KD was the primary defender against Giannis the past two seasons, according to NBA.com's matchup data. So Durant's going to be somebody, Andre Godala, assuming he's able to get back on the floor healthy. And by the way, that has gone glossed over because of the sweep, um, but his injury as well. They have a number of guys that they can throw at Giannis. And also, like, that series isn't over yet. No, I don't want to bury Toronto yet. Yeah, but we're just speaking in hypotheticals, just to be clear. I mean, if we're going to go ahead and do this, I think they could beat the Raptors without him. The Bucks are the team I don't think they could beat without him. But I think they could beat the Raptors without him. Same deal as I was just talking about. He doesn't have to guard Kawhi. He doesn't have to guard him. And so now, if I can have him playing like that free safety position, it's over because the way he just ignites that offense by being next to the basket, just grabbing the rebound and going, he's devastating. We talk about every year, and please don't do this this year, Kev. I've talked about it every year. I don't want to hear anybody getting compared to a Draymond Green guy because he is more (laughs) rare than damn near. You're better off trying to find a seven-footer that can cross people over and shoot threes now than find another Draymond. Finding somebody like that, that can dribble, pass, shoot, can guard the best player on the other team, can quarterback a defense. I mean, he's just a horrible mismatch for so many teams. So many teams. And it's almost like, remember how Gronk was in football where he's too big for your corners and your safeties and he's too fast for your linebackers? He's like that. He's too shifty to put a big guy on him or to have a big guy dedicated to him because he's just outrunning that guy down the court. And if you put somebody small, he grabs every damn rebound. (laughs) He's an impossible matchup. He is a very, very rare player. There's nobody really like him. Seriously. Yeah, I think with Draymond, I sort of touched on this a little bit in my article today on The Ringer. Oh but, God! No, I know, I know, oh, yeah, I know, God, I know. You took issue please. with something in there, but I'm just your I just, article on the yeah. Ringer. I know you took issue with the Tony Allen line. I understand. Chris. Here's my problem. It wasn't a knock on Tony Allen. Like, no, no, just, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with Tony Allen, and you know I love him. It is the mythology that surrounds that. I get that winners get to write history, but the Ringer even posted something last week about it, and it's like. And then they switched Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen, and the series was over. In game four, Tony Allen tore his damn hamstring. I know, he got hurt. Yep. In game five, he went out there and played eight possessions. Yep. Game six, he didn't play. Game seven, 
on the bad hamstring, tried to go for four minutes and never played. So somehow the winners get to rewrite history. It turns into, and the Grizzlies couldn't score anymore. If you go back and look, they got absolutely slaughtered playing Jeff Green instead of him. Way worse. And Jeff Green can do everything. He's not a one-trick pony. And one trick ponies get you slaughtered. Jeff well, they had damn Jeff Green in there. He's a one trick pony, which is sucking. And so they just rewrite history and say, oh, and then they moved Andrew Bogut onto Tony Allen. It, it just, listen, I know nobody cares about Memphis history and what the Grizzlies did, but every time we read that, it's like, oh, for God's sakes, can anybody at least mention that the guy tore his hamstring and couldn't play? Please, this Andrew Bogut was switched on to him, and the brilliance of Steve Kerr <laughs> changed history. Like, bullshit. The guy had a torn hamstring. They played Jeff Green. He can do everything. All right, okay. The point was in the article that they did something funky by putting a 7-foot, 270-pound center on a 6-foot, 213-pound guard. That, And the point was is that that has been replicated in this postseason with... Joel Embiid defending Pascal Siakam in the corner in the last round with with teams sagging off of shooters like Siakam and Al Farouk Aminu, despite the fact they aren't bad shooters like Tony Allen, but merely average shooters. The point was that the threshold has moved where teams are giving the quote-unquote Tony Allen treatment, the Andre Robertson treatment to players who aren't bad shooters. They're giving it to average shooters. They gave it to Myers Leonard in the first half. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did, and not Myers Leonard made him pay. Um, Where's the genius? The genius. They didn't guard Myers Leonard. Guy had his career high in one half. I mean, that's going to be something that's fascinating to watch in the the finals, if it is Milwaukee versus Golden State, as you said, or, or even if it's Toronto for that matter, too, because one thing Milwaukee has done all season long is they have allowed the opposing center to get open shots, regardless of who it is. They've done it with Marcus Ole this series. They did it with Al Horford last round. They're going to do it in the finals as well. If it's Draymond Green, they're going to give Draymond open shots. That's something Budenholzer's offense has done all season, like Ben Falk wrote about on cleaning the glass. The thing with Draymond, though, is, as you said, Chris, he is a supremely unique player in the sense that, yes, he is a subpar shooter, but he is a elite playmaker for a player of his size and a player of his position, an elite playmaker in the open court going coast to coast after rebounds. His instincts on the defensive end are unlike anyone else. And what really, I think, is the secret to his success is just his mind. He calculates decisions so quickly on the court, whether it's passing the ball or making reads on the defensive end of the floor. And it's so easy to say, team should play small, move a guy up to the five, move a guy up to the four. And like that can work for spurts for some teams, but it is not sustainable for most because very few players can do what Draymond Green does with his strong body, long seven foot two wingspan, and just a genius basketball mind, especially on the defensive end of the floor. It's like just to tie this to a rookie player, like with Luka Doncic, the conversation was always like, is he athletic enough in order to succeed in the NBA? It's like, well, Maybe that is a knock on him, but he has an elite basketball IQ, elite feel. And that's where Draymond Green excels in ways very few players do. And very few players in league history are at the level of Draymond Green for that matter. That's why, and it is much easier said than done, that's why you need to play them in a we run a play, you run a play game. It's a lot like when we talked about Ben Simmons. You know, 
these guys, when they are going downhill, forget about it. And it's hard because they, they just grab the rebound and then they go downhill. So that's why you have to be able to win that offensive rebounding battle against them. Because if he's snatching balls off that defensive backboard and he gets to running, much like Simmons does, now all of a sudden they are devastating players. But if you can get them to play more half-court basketball, now all of a sudden you take that away because he is elite downhill. Because he can go all the way to the basket or he's got two guys that flank out and run to their spot and he finds them and he's such a good passer. and so. The more half-court sets you can get him in, it's just, again, it's easier said than done. You have to have somebody that can punish them for being smaller. And obviously, Portland, it hurt them in the last series against the Nuggets. It's how the Nuggets almost took that series. They didn't have any size, you know, that was punishing. And so Draymond could kind of do whatever he wanted to do and get going downhill all the time. So I guess we'll see. Right? I guess we'll see. Milwaukee might be able to match them running up and down the court. Toronto would have to get them in a half-court game. Hell, Toronto's got to get Milwaukee in half-court games because Milwaukee always feels like they're going downhill, don't they? Let's move to that series. When that game was over yesterday, did you feel like, ooh, this is going to end up being the great series that many of us thought? Or did you walk away thinking, geez, I mean, Toronto got away with that, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know how long this series is going to go. The latter, it's Me too. shocking that Toronto did not win that game in regulation or sooner, for that matter. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't win it more handedly, considering the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and Eric Bledsoe were combined 11 for 48 from the floor. It's utterly shocking to me that it wasn't a, a more significant victory for the Toronto Raptors and. I think that sort of speaks to one of the issues for that team, the series, that besides Kawhi Leonard, they just don't have a lot of shot creators for this level of play. Siakam had a really nice game. I thought Nick Nurse made a nice adjustment with Milwaukee helping off Siakam in order to minimize driving lanes for Kawhi and Kyle Lowry. They had Siakam cutting behind that guy off ball, which got him some easy buckets at at the rim. I thought that was a smart move. I thought Norman Powell, had big-time performance off the bench in 30 minutes. He's another guy who can at least handle the ball and more than just hit spot-up threes, but he can attack closeouts. He can attack off the dribble and make a pass off the bounce for you. I think that is a nice addition for Toronto as well, and they should move forward with him too. Um, I don't come away from that game any differently than I did really before the series. I picked Milwaukee in six. It would not surprise me if that's what it ends up being. I think Milwaukee can be better than they were in game three, With that said, though, Chris, it's going to come down to the guy we talked about already, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who had to handle Kawhi Leonard, who, again, that was like the big pivotal change for Nick Nurse, putting Kawhi on Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis is going to have to solve that riddle, and very few are able to solve Kawhi. Yeah, and number one, Kawhi looked hurt. He was grabbing at that right quad a lot. Scary. And it's been a thing before. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Number two, you know, you were just talking about the You don't have to guard the guy. You wonder if that will come back to bite Milwaukee with Bledsoe. You know, he is such a dog defensively, but man, oh man. I mean, you do feel like they're better off sometimes when they've got George Hill and Brogdon in there. 
in terms of getting things done. Mm. And so we'll see. Bledsoe's so frustrating. Listen, another guy going downhill, different player. Different player as a downhill player. But in terms of like, hey, we're going to whip it around to get a shot. Like, you just hope it doesn't land in his hands. <laughs> How about Van Vliet getting every big shot yesterday? What the hell? Like the execute the shots that those teams were taking down the stretch. Van Vliet threes. Chris Middleton just pulling up in transition for a three with the game on the line. I'm like, what are these teams doing? It was a friggin' mess. A mess. And they're both really good teams. This is ultimately why I think Golden State could win against Toronto or Milwaukee, even without Kevin Durant, because there's just not a lot of other guys on either team that you can trust. If you're neutralizing Giannis into the Kumpo, I don't trust Eric Bledsoe. I don't trust Chris Middleton. To I trust come Brogdon. Yeah, but Brogdon, I like Brogdon a lot, but I'm not sure he's going to be the guy who's going to win you the NBA Finals. You know, hey, but George Hill <laughs> might. <laughs> George yeah. Hill's been I mean, unstoppable for like two weeks. <laughs> And the same goes for Toronto. I don't, uh, Kyle Lowry's a good player. I just don't trust him at that level, especially if he's matched up against somebody like Clay Thompson. The funniest funniest George Hill thing is every time I like mention George Hill or you see it on like Twitter, it's just all these Cavs fans like, yeah, F that guy. Where was this? (laughs) (laughs) He really did rise from the dead. I, I thought he was done. He looked done. He was in the finals last year. I know, but he looked done. No. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Every time he comes up, they're like, oh, yeah, talk more about George Hill. I don't know. Maybe not playing with LeBron is uh, a little easier than what we thought. I don't know. Because that guy looks like he's still got a lot of basketball in him. I swear. That is a bizarre thing. And I thought Budenholzer should have went to Hill sooner, especially in that overtime. Bledsoe, you could see the fear in his eyes when he was at the line late in that game with the chance to shoot two free throws and miss both. I would have went to Hill a little bit sooner in that situation. Yeah, I like the Hill and Brogdon stuff. I like the Hill and Brogdon stuff. The other thing is, you know, you're talking about other guys. Obviously, Kyle Lowry fouled out. That that is one thing that we got to give Toronto credit for. Lowry fouls out with six minutes left to go. Van Vliet hadn't hit a shot in a month, and they got to play the rest of that game without their starting point guard for six minutes. And they're still able to get a win. So we got to give them credit on that. A oh, little absolutely. bit of lust, a little bit of luster off Siakam these last week and a half, don't you say? Yeah, I mean, it's again not to bring up the Tony Allen article. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like with Pascal Siakam, as good as he already is as a player, the playoffs, especially the series against Milwaukee, has shown and certain games against the Sixers have shown how far he still has to go in order to reach his true potential. Effort can only go so far in the postseason when everybody's giving effort. Um, Like I said, I thought game three was a great example of how to best utilize him. Having him cut off ball towards the rim was a great move instead of just having him spot up in the corner. Granted, he did hit two of his five threes, best he's shot in a couple of weeks now since game one against the Sixers in a single game. Don't. Look, with 2.5 seconds left, game on the line. They I know, he missed ball. both free throws. I know. No, 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 no. I'm talking about this last game. They had two seconds left, and it's like, all right, where's Kawhi getting it? And Gasol throws it into Siakam oh, at yeah. the top of the key. He takes a three that would have killed a fan if it didn't hit the backboard. What the hell? I don't understand Nick Nurse calling that play for Siakam because 
Siakam, prior to that shot, was two for 15 in his career on pull-up threes. Two for 15 in his entire career. So, small sample of shots. I don't think that was the play. In fairness to Nick Nurse, there's no way that was the play. It was just Kawhi didn't get open. They guarded it well. But it was a secondary option, I know. Well, hey, look, he's looking around and going, don't throw it to Van Vliet again. I'll tell you what, I was ready to watch Game of Thrones at that point. I'm just being real with you. Yeah. What was Van Vliet? Like one for 11, I think? Yeah, one one for 11 from the floor. I used to love him. What the hell happened? It's going to be interesting to see how long Van Vliet's leash is in the series if at some point Nurse gives an opportunity to somebody else. Like Jeremy Lin, who they have deep off the bench. Lin suffered a serious injury that you know may have limited his abilities in, in his return. He was not productive in the 23 games that he played during the regular season with Toronto. But I, I will be curious to see if he gets a chance at some point. And you do worry about it catching up. I like that Toronto team. I do. But you, this Milwaukee team is awesome. And they just keep on attacking, attacking, attacking. You're talking about those three guys that didn't even play well. And that game still goes to overtime. You had a really hard series if you're Toronto against Philly. And now you're just playing. Kawhi just played over 50 minutes in that game. And he looked like he was limping around for half of it. And now you got to turn around and you're just not deep. They don't go deep into their bench. Because obviously, look, when you're down 2-0, your life's on the line. Well. Same thing goes for the next game, and that's the tough part. You just went into two overtimes, and you're going into game four, and you know game four is the difference between this being a long series and this possibly being the dreaded gentleman sweep. Look, they play Powell. They play Van Vliet. Those are only two guys that played over 15 minutes off the bench. 51 minutes for Siakam, 52 minutes for Kawhi. 45 minutes for Gasol? <laughs> That's a lot of miles, man. Gasol played his age. <laughs> How dare you? I knew that would make you mad. <laughs> 45? Come on. Come on. Get a double-double. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Gasol's been fine. Seven assists as well. <laughs> In fairness, I'm looking at what their roster is. Fred VanVleet's, I think, pretty safe. Unless you want to go with the Jeremy Lin thing. Chris Bouchard... Eric Moreland, Malcolm Miller, Jeremy Lin. That's the rest of their roster. I mean, this is going to sound outrageous, but I, I I would be curious to see Malcolm Miller get get some minutes in there. <laughs> the, <he's> a, <laughs> you and Malcolm Miller's mom are curious about that. I mean, Malcolm Miller, and the list ends there. Malcolm Miller's a, a three and D style player, uh, only twenty six years old. I mean, if you're not going to go with another ball handler in Jeremy Lin, I, I think with <laughs> Malcolm Miller, Malcolm at least Miller. maybe you can get another long defender on the floor. Hey, man, like he, you're giggling over there, but... Who in the hell is Malcolm Miller? Malcolm Miller had a great year in the G League. I've never heard of this person in my life. I'm not yeah, kidding. Never mind. Let's forget oh, we played at Holy Miller. Cross. Shout out to Bill Simmons, yep. alma mater. Yep. Never mind Malcolm Miller. Back to Kawhi Leonard. I, I, I do... <laughs> He's gonna. Oh, are we putting him on the Rashawn Holmes All Stars? Yeah, he should be on uh, on there. Okay. I, I think Malcolm Miller is going to be a player, not not like oh. a. I'm not saying I a player so. as in like a great player. I mean, he's going to be a solid end of bench player wow. for a couple right. seasons. But with Kawhi, I just him grabbing at his right quad area, like dude, he's going to play through this. But <laughs> it's pretty scary because yes. that's the quad that bothered him 
yep. for consecutive seasons. It's what kept him out of all but nine games last year with San Antonio. It was an issue in 2016, an issue in 2017, an issue in 2018. And now suddenly in 2019, it seems to be flaring up for him when he's playing heavy minutes after the entire season, he was Mr. Load Management, getting constant rest in order to keep him healthy. And not to mention, he's the same guy back in 2012 had the same issue with his left quad that he got corrected with San Antonio. But this right quad still remains an issue for now. In 16, 17, 18, and now into 19, four years in a row now, whether this is going to be a major issue like it was last season, well, who knows? Like, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We can't predict the future. Oh, maybe you can. Vern Odamas, right? Um, but with Kawhi, like, it's just scary to see him grabbing at that quad that's been an issue for four years now. It's just troubling. And I hope it was just a little bang up, a little bruise or something like that. But he was grabbing in that quad area, and that was a little bit nerve-wracking. Well, if he cannot give you huge minutes, you just, at least you got Malcolm Miller. <laughs> <laughs> the freaking Eastern Conference oh, Finals. Geez. Get out of here. Get out of here. All right. Last <laughs> last thing regarding this series. Jacob Evans played for the Warriors today. Why not Malcolm Miller tomorrow? Come on. They got no <laughs> players on the Warriors except for those three guys. I mean, Iguodala was out. KD's out. Demarcus Cousins out. Jacob Evans didn't think he was getting in the game tonight. I'm surprised he even had his shorts on correctly. Um, I hope I am wrong because I want it to be a very good and competitive series. I'll always root for Marcus All, but I think Milwaukee's going to win the next two games. I do. Yeah, I picked them in six before the series. It would not surprise me one bit if it's five. Yeah. I mean, that's a double OT game. And I mean, they had them down four with 40 seconds like twice. and. It just felt like, okay, you are really testing fate here. And they had like these game-winning shots, Van Vliet, free throws, Siakam, Kawhi had a game winner. It's like, dude, are you really not going to stick a dagger in this team? And I just don't think you get that again. I don't think you get to do that again. I, I don't know. They didn't play very well, and they got to win. And I really thought that they would crank it up. Usually game three is the game that you get at home. But man, that one was a hard win. That's for sure. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. And then I'm going to tell you why I'm wearing a John Morant jersey, Kevin. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do it after these words. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Capital One. Capital One knows life doesn't alert you about your credit card. That's why they created Eno. Capital One assistant that catches things that might look wrong with your credit card, like over-tipping, duplicate charges, or potential fraud. Then it sends you an alert on your phone and helps you fix it. It's another way Capital One is watching out for your money when you're not. Capital One, what's in your wallet? See CapitalOne.com for details. Hey, Kevin, did you see the draft lottery on Tuesday? Yeah. Oh, you did. I did. Sorry, before you did. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were in the room. Yes. Did you pump your fist for me when it came up? I did. I no, did. you didn't. I did. Yeah, yes, I know I you did. didn't. Yes, I oh, did. Oh, God. No, you didn't. I was happy didn't. for you. You were not. I was happy for you. You were sitting there going, oh, no, all these 60 lost teams. <laughs> 
that shit on their fans for a whole season now get to dress <laughs> Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter. whoop de doo <laughs> Like, that was worth it. <laughs> and so that really worked out well for Cavs. Oh, the Bright Future Suns mm-hmm. and the Bulls. Tough, tough night for the tankers. Tough, tough night for the tankers. <laughs> oh, hate to see oh, it. Oh, God. Um, Pelicans one, Grizzlies two, Knicks three, then Lakers and Cavs are the rest of the top five. I will say, you know, I know they count it down from one down when you're in the room. As that is playing out, you know what it was like when you see it on TV? Because I know you guys got to see it on TV also. And there's obviously utter and complete shock when the Lakers name doesn't come up where the Lakers name is supposed to come up. (laughs) The Grizzlies name doesn't come up where the Grizzlies are supposed to come up. So you know those teams have elevated, and, and the Pelicans also, that those teams have all moved up spots. In the room, was there total shock and awe? Obviously, the Pelicans, and and we all saw Alvin Gentry's explosion when they got it. When the Grizzlies come off it, too, is there like a murmuring that's going on in that lottery room? No, actually. No. No, I I would say this. For me, in the moment, when New Orleans won, I, I like wanted to react, but I couldn't react. And then Alvin Gentry allowed everybody to react. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, and like everybody was laughing and all that but other than that it was pretty silent through the rest of it It, like other than Mike Zarin the assistant general manager of the Celtics trying to nag Zach Kleiman the the new lead decision maker for the Grizzlies to celebrate like Gentry for winning the pick or you know when the Lakers won the fourth pick Rob Palenka mumbled a yes underneath his breath (laughs) other than that it was Pretty much silence. Like when the Knicks got the third pick, Alan Houston didn't react at all. It's like he didn't hear the, the word New York. Somebody that was in the room told me that Alvin Gentry goofed with Palenka, something to the effect of, you ain't getting AD now or something like that. Well, um, I would say Gentry's words, <laughs> and I put this in my article, everything Gentry said supported the things that were reported after. It supported the things that David Griffin, uh, the new president of basketball operations for the Pelicans, said that yeah. they're going to try to keep AD. And, you know, one of the things Gentry did say in there is AD is under contract until July 2020. And it's pretty clear to me, based off the things that were said in the room, based off the things that were said publicly, it's all in alignment that the Pelicans are going to try to keep Anthony Davis with Zion Williamson. Will they be able to? Well, I mean, who knows? But they're going to try, and I think they at least have a little bit more leverage to take this into training camp if they want to or into the season, and there's risk in doing that because AD has not been the most healthy player in his past. He has not suffered a major, major injury, but he has been banged up often, and you know, there's always could come a time where bad luck happens and you suffer a major injury, and then you lose all leverage for a trade. There's always a risk in that. There's also the risk that just as time goes by, offers just end up diminishing if it becomes more and more clear that they do have to make a deal. But for New Orleans, for David Griffin, for Elvin Gentry, for that entire front office, entire organization, I do think that there's now at least 
there's not at least an argument to be made to AD and to Rich Paul and Clutch Sports that New Orleans is the place for him and his future to have the best opportunity to win, paired with Zion Williamson, Drew Holiday, and whatever else that they may add using money, using assets, using other draft picks to come in the future. I'm not so sure it's going to work, but they're going to try. I don't buy it at all. So you think they're going to try to trade him still? I think they're driving up the price. And this is the best if that's the case, public like, posture to take. It's you know? very possible. But Gentry's words seemed very genuine. They just seemed very genuine. And if <laughs> him saying, I forget to who it was, but you know, I, he said 80s under contract until 2020. Yeah, it reminds me of the Kawhi thing where it's like, okay, this guy does not want to be here anymore. And so we're not going to do anything now. We didn't do anything at the trade deadline. We're going to let this thing play out. And we are going to get a monster return if we can. And something that we really want. And it does us no good to say, hey, he's out there on the market. Anybody want to trade for him? Instead, you say, we have no reason to trade him. And we just got Zion and he's staying. And I think you just keep driving the price up until you can get some kind of return that you really want. I don't buy it for a second that Anthony Davis will be a Pelican on opening night. I just don't. I don't believe it. It can be both. It can be true that their intentions are to keep him, but the byproduct of that is it does indeed drive up the price. It does indeed increase their leverage because they don't have to. They can take this into the season oh, that's now for sure. with Zion and AD and Drew Holiday and try to play this damn thing out and see how it works because maybe the Pelicans are, maybe Zion's one of those rare rookies who can drop 22 points per game with eight, nine rebounds and maybe he perfectly complements AD and maybe AD sees the potential of them playing together because AD, by the way, is still only 26 years old. He's a young guy himself. Maybe he sees the potential of a, a partnership with those two after seeing them actually get training camp together in preseason and, and regular season play. Maybe AD decides that it's the place he wants to be. So I think everything they're saying is genuine about wanting to give it a chance. But as you're saying, is the byproduct of that is it does indeed increase your leverage. And I do wonder how high will offers get from teams like the Lakers, from the Celtics, from the Knicks, from dark horse teams like the Nets. How many draft picks are these teams willing to put on the table? Unprotected draft picks. How many player assets are they willing to put on the table? Because this could be their only window to get Anthony Davis if the Pelicans are going to take it into the season and give it a chance. It's going to be, I mean, like the saga is not over. The sweepstakes is still happening for Anthony Davis. It just doesn't mean that New Orleans is going to accept one of the bids. Maybe Masai will do it again. <laughs> Kawhi will go to the Clippers and he'll trade for another star and that'll just be the thing you do every year if you're Toronto. <laughs> you just trade for the guy that's in his last year. <laughs> Unless uh, the Clippers are the team that tries to make a bid for Anthony Davis as well. You with, never with know, right? Look, there's going to be surprise teams that make a bid for him. Like a team like Denver, would you put Jamal Murray on the table? Maybe you don't. But maybe maybe you give it a try. Maybe you go with a supersized AD Jokic front court because with AD it's like his preference clearly is LA. But it seems more than anything else, if his words are to be taken for what they are, his true will is to win. Right now, New Orleans is in a position to offer him a lot with Zion and Drew Holiday. But other teams that aren't the Lakers and that aren't. The Clippers aren't L.A. teams or New York teams, for that matter, can offer that, too. All right. Well, let's move to one of those L.A. teams. It just so happens Magic Johnson was on ESPN this morning oh, God. and talked about the A.D. thing. 
and then kind of sold Dell Demps down the river <laughs> and said, I tried to keep this between me and Dell Demps. And he went and leaked it out to everybody. I mean, he was just on a bridge burning crusade this morning, which made for unbelievable television. But you do have to wonder now that it is David Griffin and now that it is Rob Palenka, assuming it is Rob Palenka, that will be the guys on the phone and not Dell Demps and not Magic Johnson, who do not have the highest of reputations when it comes to running teams. Let's just say that maybe, you know, maybe that gets revisited and maybe not only does it get revisited, maybe it's something that could be there because, you know, I told you way back when I thought that that return that the Pelicans were going to be getting, assuming I clear Ingram medically, I thought that was outstanding return the first time around when they were talking about moving all those guys in order to get him because they think they can re-sign him. Then I wouldn't put the Lakers thing out yet. I certainly wouldn't. I don't think that it's done that we won't see him in a Laker uniform. It probably was with Dell Demps there. I think he was pissed off about everything and then tried to sabotage the Lakers season <laughs> diabolically. But now that it's Griffin and Trajan Langdon, and now that it's Palinka and whoever the hell is going to be in charge or have a voice with the Lakers, I could see it happening again. I mean, I thought that was a hell of a trade. I did. I thought they were getting a lot back. And you take Ingram and you take Kuzma and you take Ball and you take those guys and you throw them with Zion. Now, all of a sudden, now we're talking three, four years from now. Well, you can get more for him now. Like, you know, I know. We'll, we'll talk about the magic thing in a second, but regarding that trade, that's why you didn't do it because you can get more now. You know it's the number four pick now. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of like if you traded AD to them at the deadline, they probably make the playoffs and that pick is number 16, you know? Yep. So it made sense to wait. There's endless reasons to wait. In, in regards to Magic Johnson, it's it's just funny to me how he says how he loves Jeannie Buss and he loves the Lakers and he wants them to have great success, and yet he publicly quits on the final day of the regular season without telling anybody. And yet, you know, in the day Frank Vogel is being announced as head coach, and Rob Polenka will be there as well, and all that, he goes on first take <laughs> of all shows and and talks about how Polenka backstabbed him, and <laughs> talks about how he wanted to fire Luke Walton, and. <sighs> It's a continuation of everything that he's done the past couple of years with the Lakers and getting caught tampering, undermining Luke Walton, the coaching staff, destabilizing the entire franchise. No, nah, but this dude, listen, it's just silly. He's Magic Johnson. He's a legend and he's yeah. the king of tweeters. End of story. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> now, I have nothing else. He's one of my favorite Twitter tweets. Yeah. Oh, he's the GOAT as far as I'm concerned. Magic tweet anything tonight? Do we have one? Do we have one for tonight's game? I don't know. I'm looking right now. Let me, Steph let me... Curry had 37 points. No. And Klay Thompson had, you know, whatever. Tonight. And Draymond Green had a triple-double as the Warriors beat the Blazers or whatever he says. All right. Here's the deal. I do think that a lot of the stuff was goofy. I do think he legitimately believes that Rob Palenka stabbed him in the back. I do think that he exposed what is a mess that goes on. And this is not just in the Lakers organization. This goes on in many organizations. It also goes on in many businesses. And he may not have been present enough and trustworthy enough 
to have the power that he was, quote, supposed to have. Okay, let me go ahead and say that. But at that point, you need to make a decision on who you've got running stuff, because what cannot happen is you having somebody that is in charge that is going to have the say on things. And then when that person walks out, you go talk to everybody that is supposed to be under them. And then you say, no, we're not going to do what you want to do. Either have him in power and let him make the choices or don't. And she wasn't getting rid of him. He walked away. And that's the thing that bothers me about the way their setup is. And it's concerning regarding Jeannie, who I like. But like in terms of ownership, you cannot have it to where everybody gets a say. And so while everybody can laugh about some of the goofy stuff that he said or that he, you know, really walked into first take with a pile of napalm with him, there's a lot of truth in what he said, which is, yo, if I'm going to have the power, I want the power, right? And if I want to fire the coach, I can't walk out of the room and then five people walk in and say, no, don't listen to him. Like you either trust that guy that is supposed to be in charge or you don't. And if you don't, and you listen to the other voices that are there over his, then he shouldn't be in the gig, man. And he walked away. I don't know if Jeannie would have gotten rid of him. She obviously wouldn't have. So that is something concerning for Laker fans in a world without Magic Johnson in the front office. I wrote recently about the Clippers that they are an organization with organizational alignment. Yes. Uh, this Lakers franchise clearly has organizational scoliosis <laughs> from top to bottom, from Genie Bus down to the coaching staff and going with their third choice behind Monty Williams and Ty Lu with Frank Vogel. There's something awry with this front office, clearly, which, as you said, Magic Johnson did expose, uh, but it was sort of already known anyway. I mean, people across the league have been talking about how dysfunctional this team is with Magic and Rob Palenka sharing the power, and now it's just Palenka and... We'll see how things settle down, but ever since Magic's public resignation, it's just been nothing but drama for this team, and it's not gotten better with Magic out of the picture because he's still in the picture. Polinka said today he just talked to him the other day about the number four pick. He still talks with Jeannie Buzz. He's still part of the Lakers franchise. It just doesn't have the title anymore. Well, and um, if they can't get free agents, and it's going through another mediocre season next year and they can't get AD and they can't get free agents to sign there. We won't make it to February before LeBron says, get me out of here. The twilight of my career ain't know. being played I out know, in, man. In, amongst this mess. He came to LA for more than basketball though. He came for family. He came for his boys to be in Stop. playing high school here. It's true. It's just the truth. He came here for they more than basketball. They can still live there. You know I that, know. Kev. You're, you're right. You're right. And, and that's... That's where the intrigue is, because they can still live here. You're right. <laughs> you know, his his old <laughs> son, his oldest son will be in high school soon. He does, he doesn't need his dad to be there every single day, yeah, and he won't right. be every single there every single day because he's traveling anyway. But LeBron did come here for more than basketball reasons, and I do think with the Lakers that even if this is another disappointing season for them, if they don't hit a home run in free agency this summer. They can still be a team that gets into the playoffs if they're adding like B level stars alongside LeBron James. If they're still getting internal development from Brandon Ingram, who, by the way, if healthy, he still showed significant flashes when provided opportunities last year when LeBron was off the floor. 
And I'll tell you what, man, like I do question how strong that offer is for Anthony Davis with Brandon Ingram as a centerpiece, considering the blood clot issue that he had. That's scary, man. I said medically cleared. Yeah, he is. He's medically cleared, but that doesn't mean that type of thing won't scare you away from trading for him at 21 years old to have an unusual issue like that in the surgery he had to correct that. I Um, still think he's going to be a star, though. If the blood clot thing does not stop him from it, I still think Ingram can be a star. I do. I like him, man. I mean, listen, I, like I, I idiotically had Ingram ranked ahead of Ben Simmons in the 16th The Hay is not totally in the barn on that. Yeah, I know it's not. I, I hate to One of them has been in a little better situation. Of course. But with Brandon Ingram, like, undeniably, he did show some significant flashes last year, especially over the latter, latter couple of weeks before his season was ended, averaging around 20 points per game, hitting shots more efficiently, passing the ball. And that's the thing about Ingram and what I loved about him so much in the 16 draft. You know, Ben Simmons is a transcendent playmaker and a, he has a, the perfect body to play multiple positions, defend multiple positions. And Brandon Ingram is skinny and lanky and kind of awkward sometimes with his movements. But what Brandon Ingram is, is a really smart ball handler, a smart playmaker for his position. It just doesn't show up in the numbers because he hasn't been provided the opportunity. He hasn't had the right surrounding pieces. But Ingram is somebody who's versatile on the offensive end of the floor and versatile on the defensive end of the floor. The hang-up for him in college, and still today in the NBA, is going to be the development of his three-point shot. He shot 33% from three last year. He's only 32.9% in his entire career from three. But if that is able to develop for him, and he has made tweaks to his shooting mechanics in order to try to improve it, if that can improve to 36 37% for the rest of his career, then we're talking about a guy who is going to be a guy who averages 24 points, Six rebounds, five assists for the rest of his, you know, prime. He is still twenty-one. Yeah, he's a, he's a kid. 21. He's still just yep. a kid, and and that's where the appeal is. Where for him, he's one year away from getting paid. He'll be a restricted free agent in twenty twenty. That's another issue yep. in trading for him that he's going to get paid soon. But Brandon Ingram can't be underrated as an asset in trades, and he can't be underrated as a key player for the Lakers moving forward. Because by the way, man, like. They don't have to trade Brandon Ingram in order to bring somebody in. They could trade the number four pick and other players. They could try to package four in Kuzma, and not saying for this player specifically, but for a Bradley Beal type of player. You could try to make that type of move um, if the Wizards were willing to rebuild and trade Beal for that. Those type almost of package. never work out. They almost never work out. The whole trade the high draft pick for the actually established, really good player, very rarely does the team that trades the high draft pick come back to regret it. And in fact, the opposite is usually true. You trade Ray Allen and the pick becomes Jeff Green. You trade Darren Williams and the pick becomes Derek Favors. You trade Kevin Love (laughs) and the pick becomes Andrew Wiggins. Very rarely does anybody rue the day that they traded one of those top picks. But I suppose it's possible. Of course. That whoever Darius Garland could make you regret it forever. But and Beal's only twenty five too. He'll be twenty six next season. Still a young player. Oh, I love Brad Beal. Love him. Yeah. Love him. This is gonna be a fun summer, especially when the Bucks beat the Warriors and KD signs with the Bucks. Why <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, are you wearing well, a John Moran jersey? Are you kidding me? Do you know something that we don't know, Chris? Or that we've, we've only heard through reports from Shamsharania and others on the interwebs? Do you know something we don't know, Chris? 
you will never hear from me again if the name that comes off the board is not John Moran. Mm. I'm moving in with you. I'm going to go <laughs> root for the Lakers. It's going to be John Morant. Okay. And you know, I love, love John Morant. Do you have any hesitations about him? None. Okay, well, let's None. come up with that. Is there any hesitations at all? None. Not the jumper? No. Not his frail frame? No. No? I told you this. I mean, look, I jumped on you weeks ago. The Grizzlies had literally no shot of getting him. And I talked about a corner three show that I listened to where you guys were picking apart him. And I said, this guy is going to be a superstar. I believe that. And so now, now that my team gets to draft him, I'm all in. All in. I was all in before it. It's not a now thing. I think he is special. I think when you take that kind of vision and you team it up with that top, top 1.1% athleticism, that's a rare combination. And it's usually those kind of guys that I, it was Fox a couple of years ago. Crazy athlete. You know, obviously you've seen it from Rose. You've seen it from Westbrook. These guys that speed kills and he can run faster, jump higher, and get off the ground quicker than most guys. And he's got a passing ability that is special, really special. How many guys in the history of the NCAA do you think have ever averaged 20 points and 10 assists a game? Not many. How many? You got the number? One. Ooh, John Morant. And now you can't go back. They didn't start recording until like 1985. But if you want to talk about, you know, who could have done it in the 70s or early 80s, I suppose you could say, well, this guy would have done it. But in terms of modern era, nobody has averaged 20 points and 10 assists except for him. It's a hard-ass thing to do, Kev. That's what separates him is the passing ability. He's not going to fail. John Morant will be in the league for many years, assuming good health, because of his playmaking ability, because of his speed. That's always going to keep him in the NBA. For me, the hangups, and this is not nitpicks, it's just reality. The question is going to be, how does his shot off the dribble develop? How does he adapt defensively? Does he put in effort, which he did not do nearly enough playing for Murray State over his two seasons? Does he improve his right hand finishing around the rim? Does he improve as a, as a one-foot leaper instead of uh, jumping off of two feet? That's what can make him a John Wall, Russell Westbrook type of explosive finisher at the rim. Those are the little things that are important things for him to make a leap from being a very good point guard, which he should be for a long time, to becoming a great point guard, an all-NBA point guard. For Morant being the number two pick, I think it's smart for Memphis to take him. Um, I think it's a great fit next to Jaron Jackson. Listen, this is not speaking out of school. Everybody knows this. And I would tell you this today. If the top three picks do not go in that order that everybody has had for months, Zion, Ja, RJ, I will be absolutely stunned. Absolutely stunned. I mean, I was asking people in December about the draft, doing research, and they were telling me everybody's got the same top three. And that never changed. Never changed. It was Zion, Ja, RJ. And I think that's what will happen when it comes draft night. Your guess is as good as mine on four. I know a lot of people have Garland now, but it is totally up for grabs. From four through ten, I would say. Don't you think that that thing could get shifted around a lot? I wouldn't have a good guess from fourth or ten. 
No, it's impossible to know at this point. I can see tons of guys going fourth or ten. Yeah, it's hard to tell right now. Yep. Kevin, it is always a pleasure. Maybe I will finally get you to Memphis for John Moran. Before we end, I just also wanted to wish a big congratulations to the entire NBA desktop crew for winning an Emmy for outstanding digital innovation. I'm just blown away by the work they put in every week for that show, leading up to their recordings every Thursday with Jason Concepcion, obviously, hosting the show, and Jason Gallagher directing the show. Just a big congratulations to those guys. It was a really memorable weekend overall for The Ringer with Jason Concepcion being part also of the Talk the Thrones crew with Mally Rubin and Chris Ryan. It's just a great weekend for The Ringer. The amount of work that goes in behind the scenes in order to produce these shows and stuff that you don't see over the course of the week. It's just, um, it's remarkably a part of this team. Jason Concepcion playing superstar, <laughs> both of the Game of Thrones coverage and as well as NBA desktop. It's just really, really damn cool to see that reward. And I'm so happy for those guys. It's I great. Love, I love Concepcion and Gallagher and getting to see that picture of them accepting that award was the best. Oh, and yeah. I have already changed. Uh, and I would encourage you to do this, do this also. I've already changed on my resume, Kev. It says as well as has appeared on the Emmy-winning program <laughs> NBA Desktop. <laughs> I've already changed my own resume. What are you changing your resume for, Chris? You're trying to join the, the Lakers or Clippers or something like that? What's going on? I, I'm not kidding. Are you a free agent this summer? Do you, do you want to hear something hilarious? Yeah. I have not had a resume in 15 years. Hmm. I don't even have one. I'm not kidding. It's on a floppy disk. I don't even have a damn computer uh, with a floppy disk drive. <laughs> I miss floppy disks. It's on a disk. I swear to God. Whatever my original resume was 100 years ago, it's on a disk somewhere. But I, I don't have an updated one. God forbid I do need a job that requires one. You know, I just keep getting jobs that don't need them. <laughs> floppy disks. Hey, That's something Kevin, else, man. You know what I tell them when they ask for my resume? My work speaks for itself. <laughs> Look me up. Google me. <laughs> you, you know, Google me. Your your comment about um, floppy disks. This is quite a pivot right here. But um, floppy disks. What, what what was the last year floppy disks were even relevant? Like two thousand maybe was that like the last year? Two thousand one. Because I I first got a computer <laughs> in like oh one. I think that was my first year of the computer, and I used floppy disks until like oh two or oh three. Um, but the reason why I bring that up is because a 10-year-old boy named Jude sent me a really nice letter in response to the article that I wrote about my dad and, and his situation with cancer and everything. It was just, I don't know, it just reminded me of like being a 10-year-old boy, like being on using floppy disks for games and stuff. And here's this 10-year-old kid listening to our show and oh, writing a really awesome. nice letter. And and by the way, Chris, in it, he said he loves the mismatch and wants us to keep recording forever. So Aww. hopefully we can do that. <laughs> hopefully we can. 10 years old. That's my demo. Yep. Jude. Yeah, that, that's our demographic. So <laughs> shout out to demo. you, Jude. Um, and and uh, thank you for sending that. It meant a lot. Thanks to everybody for listening to the show. As always, and no matter what, we are going to have an incredibly entertaining NBA Finals. And the Warriors are going to get to kick their feet up for nine days until we get to that. But we'll certainly have the Easter Conference Finals and a bunch of stuff happening up until that point, we will talk to you next Tuesday. Kevin, you the man. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Chris. You're the man, too. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for listening. Go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you next week. Hey.